Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. You ever hear of the phrase behind every great man is a great woman? But what about the traitorous ones? Today's episode is about the Bonnie to America's founding Clyde. For those who like their trees in poached and drizzled with hollandaise, we're talking about Benedict Arnold's wife, Peggy Shippen Arnold, with historian and professor Charlene Boyer Lewis. This is Too Complicated for History. Welcome to Too Complicated for History. Today, we are joined by Dr. Charlene Boyer-Lewis, the Larry J. Bell Chair in American History at Kalamazoo College. It's great to be here, Isaac. Oh, thanks and so much Lynn. for being here. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, Lynn, we have, we're here to talk today about uh, Peggy Shippen Arnold. And for the audience who doesn't know who that is, um, would you like to say who she was married to? That They might be more familiar with him. They probably are. She's Mrs. Benedict Arnold. So that traitor, Benedict Arnold, that's who her husband was. So can you give us sort of a, a brief description for those who just know the name of who Benedict Arnold was and, and what he may have done to become so infamous? Infamous is the key term there. Uh, Benedict Arnold was actually a stunning general for the American patriots during the revolution. And he was the hero of Saratoga. He was just incredibly um, crafty. He knew how to get men to follow him. He had really good military strategy. He was also good fighting um, naval battles on lakes as well as army general. And so this guy was absolutely crucial to the Patriot War effort in the early years of the American Revolution. And George Washington considered him a member of his military family and one of his just most reliable and closest officers. So Benedict Arnold was absolutely crucial to a number of American victories for the first couple years of the American Revolution. Yeah, I think that gets overlooked a lot because he was actually genuinely good at his job. That's why it mattered. Right. He was incredibly good at his job. Um, and, and that's why when he turned 
uh, it was a huge loss, and a huge loss to the Patriot side. And the British knew that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Since for the audience that may be familiar with him as just the idea of a traitor, what, what exactly did he do? Because you know, oh, he betrayed us for the British, but the, you know, that's that's as, as yeah, far as most mean? people's knowledge goes. Well, there's a legal definition of treason in this time period, and that's aiding and abetting or giving comfort to the enemy. And I would argue that Benedict Arnold did all of those things incredibly well when he decided <laughs> to turn over West Point, the fort that he was in command of that's up in the Hudson River Highlands, and an absolutely crucial fort to keeping kind of the American patriot cause together that the British wanted to sever. And so Benedict Arnold was happily uh, turned over maps and turned over information and gotten command of the fort and then was ready to turn the fort over to the British and perhaps as well help them kidnap George Washington when he was coming for a visit to West Point. So he he had lots of plans. He had lots of plans and every single one of them was treasonous. Yeah, he's like, I, I was trying to think about him and what I what I generally think about him and what I knew about him growing up. And he is really, I think, one of America's oh, like classic villains, like in the story <laughs> yes. of, of what we did. Like, I mean, so much so that in, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a, a ridiculous animated movie called America the Movie, I think it's what, on Netflix. Yes. Uh, and Benedict yeah. is the main <laughs> villain in that. Like he is, he I, there be. might not be another American villain with such a sort of like a core uh, uh, like so closely tied to our story because he was an American and then, you know, flipped, I guess, but it's, it's so funny that that's, he's the ultimate betrayer in, in, right. in our American and, history. And I mean, when I tell people I'm working on this and they say, oh, I remember that Brady Bunch episode where Bobby <laughs> had to play Benedict Arnold <laughs> in the school play and he was crying and didn't want to be him because, you know, who wants to play the worst guy in American history? Um, and so Benedict Arnold can kind of fit that bill as as one of the worst Americans ever. <laughs> yeah, it's like so him and John Wilkes Booth. Sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right, right. Aaron that, Burr yeah, might, might want to throw one. Aaron Burr in there, too. And, I, he, uh, he might even be too much of a deep cut. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so I'm wondering, you know, he's this fantastic uh, uh, general for George Washington, and then he just wakes up one day and says, ah, forget this. I, I, I'm sick of the patriots. I'm going back to the British. I mean, what happens? Why does he all of a sudden decide he's going to, you know, completely turn face and be on, you know, the opposite side. Well, Lynn, it's more complicated <gasps> than that. Oh. Could it be too complicated for history? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, there it is. And it wasn't over. It, it wasn't overnight. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't overnight. It took him a, um, close to two years to kind of work his way to this stunning, what would have been a stunning event, right? To turn over West Point, mm -hmm. um, he got increasingly disgruntled. Uh, in 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 the course of kind of from 1778, 1779, he wasn't he had been paying for military expenses out of his pocket. Um, like, for instance, for the Quebec campaign, one of his most stunning victories, he paid for almost all of that out of his own money. And the Goodness. Continental Congress was refusing to repay him. Mm -hmm. um, and he just wasn't getting the respect that he deserved. Men were being promoted above him. 
He did not like that. Um, he, he knew he was great, and he thought he deserved to be promoted. Um, when, when these people who had done less than he, right, were being promoted over him. So he wasn't getting the money he deserved. He wasn't getting the respect he deserved. Um, and when he gets wounded in Saratoga and really kind of shatters his leg, the mm. surgeon wanted to take it off, but he would refuse to let him do that. So oh he was a crippled kind of for the rest of his life. Um, and George Washington puts him in charge of Philadelphia to kind of restore to health after his leg was uh, really shattered at Saratoga. Mm -hmm. And so that's where he meets Peggy Shippen Arnold is in, well, Peggy Shippen at the time it, mm -hmm. when he, when Benedict Arnold is in charge of Philadelphia. Oh, he meets so her during the war. I didn't yes, realize that. Yes, 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 oh. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so he's already disgruntled, right? He's already feeling left out mm -hmm. and feeling like George Washington doesn't love him as much as he should <laughs> um, and <laughs> that he's not getting his money back. And then he runs into the president of the Executive Council of Pennsylvania, Joseph Reed, and mm. they despise each other. They absolutely despise each other. Joseph Reed doesn't, doesn't think Benedict Arnold's good to run Philadelphia. He doesn't like him. He thinks he um, interacts with Philadelphians who aren't very loyal to the Patriot cause, and the Shippen family fall into that category. Oh. They weren't obviously loyal to the Patriot cause. They weren't loyalists. Lots of historians say that the, that um, Edward Shippen, Peggy Shippen's father, was a loyalist and that she mm -hmm. was a loyalist. I wouldn't say that, that her family were loyalists because um, some of her cousins joined the Patriot Army, right? Um, okay. Edward Shippen's cousin, William Shippen, becomes one of the leading mm -hmm. physicians for the Patriots. So um, Peggy Shippen's a different different matter. Um, I think she was happy being a loyalist flirt when the British mm. occupied Philadelphia before Benedict Arnold was there. Sure. Uh, she, she and her friends happily interacted with all the British officers like John Andre. Wow. Um, and so when, when Benedict enters the city, he's a hero, right? He's the hero mm -hmm. of Saratoga. Um, she's beautiful, and and he's enamored of her, and she probably helped him make that decision hmm. that treason was probably a good way to go. I don't think she's the reason for it. Some historians mm -hmm. say that. Other historians say she's perfectly innocent and had nothing to do with it and didn't know anything about it. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty clear that she thought, yeah, this might be a good idea um, to turn over West Point and really become British and get lots of money for it. Were mm. they married at that point or were they just dating? Well, so when, when, you know, dating, this, courting, um, well, you know, courting, exactly. I know, I'm right. sorry. Courting, right. Staring longingly um, at each other from across a ballroom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Silently they, they, wooing. They, they were. I, I, they're, Benedict woos her in earnest. He writes her all these love letters that she doesn't know are actually word for word love letters that he had written to the previous woman he tried to woo. Oh my. Um, yeah, bad for him. He left those Yeah, he left those letters around, right? So oh, he's trying no. to like, oh my God, you know, what a lousy guy. You just use the exact same words to to Peggy that you used for this earlier woman who turned you down. But he violently woos her, and she finally succumbs um, to the attack, as one of her cousins hey, said it. Did, yeah, um, did, she, did she say violently woos her? <laughs> yes. And uh, 
uh, they get married in, in April of 1779. Um, okay. And so they meet in 1778 and they get married in April of 1779. And the treason is in September of 1780. Okay. So pretty okay. quick. Right. It wasn't like, you know, <laughs> or rel- relatively quick. And, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know how treason, right. how long treason normally takes, <laughs> but. Right. And, and it's not until, um, so they get married in April of 1779. And within a, about a month or two, they send their first letter out to the British saying, hey, we're disgruntled. Sure. We might <sighs> want to help you. How in the world what did that they- look like? keep wow. that letter like that first one how in the world did they keep that secret it right. wasn't e- like letters were like opened all the time in transit and and stuff at the time right. and, so yeah. this is this is this is how we know they were kind of up to something right uh-huh. so they find um, an intermediary a man named Joseph Stansbury who had been a china merchant in Philadelphia so somebody obviously the ship and family would know right? Um, Mm -hmm. A a merchant of elite goods. And he was already made it abundantly clear that he was a loyalist, right? That that he was a a good British citizen. And he was already sending information to the British, even though he stayed in Philadelphia. Once the British left Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. he stayed. So Stansbury um, calls on the Arnolds, and they give him this letter. And we know we have the letter. It, It ended up in British archives, where Benedict says, you know, I'm 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 disgruntled with the American cause. I think we should be, you know, mending fences and we should end this war and stay mm-hmm. British. Um, I don't like it that the French have joined. That's another reason why um, people give that he might have committed treason. And so the letter ends up, Joseph Stansbury takes it to the British and it ends up going to Henry Clinton's spy master, who's John Andre, who Peggy knew. Right, right. Now, we don't think they knew he was the spy master yet because that was kind of really hush-hush. Very few people knew that John Andre was Clinton's spy master. Um, But that's what Stansbury ends up getting the letter to Andre. So Andre writes them back and says, hey, we're interested And again, this letter also implicates Peggy Shippen because in this letter, he says, we're going to use code names and she can be, you know, Mrs. Whatever, and you're going to be Mr. Whatever, and we're going to use um, invisible ink. And oh. you're going to write, write all the spy stuff, right? Um, we're going to use invisible ink and we're going to use code names. So she has a code name as well as Benedict having a code mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. And then John Andre ends the letter and he says, and, you know, you, Mrs. So-and-so, Mrs. Codename can send letters to her friend and in invisible ink between the lines you will send information to me and ask her friend to send the letter on to me, John Andre. Mm. And he says, wow. and you can write about the Messianza and other things like that. Now, the Messianza was this huge extravagant ball that John Andre had put on before the British had left Philadelphia, mm-hmm. that Peggy had been one of the few women honored mm-hmm. by this ball. Right. So when you read this letter from spy master John Andre to Benedict Arnold and it says, oh, the letter can just be 
including things about the Messianza and other stuff like that, it's clear that only Peggy can write that letter. Benedict can't write oh, that letter. Right, right. 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 She was the one. Right. She's the subject of it. Mm, it's interesting. Right. So she's she's clearly involved in this. So sorry for the interruption, but we're going to take a brief break now for a word from our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It makes sense, I mean, that they would both be involved for a couple of reasons. One, it's better cover. I don't know if you've seen that there's a, a show that was on FX a couple of years ago called The Americans. But it's about a Russian yes. couple, yeah, Russian spy. Yes. Yeah, for, for those who Russell, haven't seen it. Right. Yes, Carrie Russell, yeah. Um right. fel- Felicity. Um but right. yeah, it's uh <laughs> Felicity gone bad. Exactly. <laughs> so for those who haven't seen it, it's a uh a show about these two Russian spies that are married. And living deep, like deep cover here in the United States, um, and they even have children that don't know that they're spies. Like that's how right. deep their cover goes, and it's based on a real thing, a real Russian spying that got blown up in New York City around 2010 ish. If you want to look up the story, but it's a it, like it is more believable if there's two people doing this, and it, it actually comes mm-hmm. into play a little bit later when some of this stuff. Right. My favorite part of this story is how Peggy reacts to the whole thing and that whole show. So could you explain uh, a little bit about like what, how they got caught in this and like what the scheme was and how like that all blew up in their faces and stuff? Yeah, so so it it takes a while for all of this to work out. There's lots of letters back and forth. Peggy Mm -hmm. keeps passing letters on. Um, It's clear from the, the, when you look at the correspondence between the two sides that she's passing letters on, she's writing letters. And so... They decide that, and this is a quote right from the letter, that they're going to um, make a concerted effort to make a great blow against the Americans. And so the decision was made that Benedict Arnold would have to try to convince George Washington to get George Washington to make him commander of West Point. Because that's the fort Mm. the British want. They really want West Point so they can cut the American patriot effort in half at the Hudson River at the Hudson River Valley. So Benedict and Peggy say, okay. So Peggy kind of works her wiles on Robert Livingston, who's in Congress, and he writes a letter recommending Benedict to become the commander of West Point. And Benedict keeps saying to George, well, I'm not ready to go back in the field yet. I know you want me to go back in the field. And in fact, George had offered him a very high command in the army. Mm. And and Benedict's like, oh, I'm not ready yet. Like my leg still hurts. Um, How about if you give me the command of West Point? And so George Washington says, sure. 
So Benedict moves to West Point in August of 1780, and Peggy joins him there about a month later with their brand new baby, their baby oh Edwards, just a couple of months old. Right. So See, the kids are part the- of the cover. And so she joins him up there at West Point um, in a place called Robinson House, a house that they had taken from the army had taken from a loyalist. And so they're living in a kind of nicely appointed house across the river from West Point. And that part's key. They're not at the fort. They're across the river. And um, so Peggy's there and. It's all set. The date's going to be at the very end of September, and Benedict's going to meet John Andre under the cover of darkness. Mm -hmm. And they have this meeting, and Benedict gives him the map of the fort and gives him letters that include exactly how many men are at the fort. And right before then, Benedict had sent a whole bunch of soldiers out into the woods to get firewood. So there were very few soldiers at West Point at that moment, right? All part of the plant. And they also had learned that George Washington was coming for a visit. So Benedict, in one of his last letters to Andre, says, oh, and by the way, Washington's going to be here, right? He's on his way to come. So if we can get this arranged, right, dot, dot, dot. Oh, my the, gosh. The implication is that Washington. they might have, right, you might catch Washington. And Washington wasn't alone. Washington was with the Marquis de Lafayette. He was with Alexander Hamilton, both of his aide-de-camps, and Henry Knox. So, like, Can you imagine if all of those were caught? Right. We would be British today. We would be British. (laughs) Right. We would be British. Um, So they meet. He gives Andre the maps and the letters with all this information. And Andre tries to get back to the British ship. And he can't because Americans have moved the British ship out of firing range. And so now he has to get across land and go back to New York um, behind British lines, not by Mm -hmm. sea as he had wanted to, but across land. And he does the very dumb thing of taking off his British uniform and putting a coat over it. So now that means he's dressed as a spy and not as an officer. Right. (sighs) And it turns out this was Benedict's suggestion. Hey, you stick out too much in your bright red British officer's uniform, so why don't you put a coat and hat on? So he gets on his horse and he starts to go toward British lines and some American militiamen flag him down and say, you know, halt, who are you? You know, what side are you on? And they notice, according to the story, his British, his beautiful British officer's boots. Mm-hmm. And so they know he's not who he says he is. And they make him pull off the boots and in the boots were the maps and the letters from Benedict Arnold. And he had a pass from Benedict Arnold, oh. right? So they they don't realize who they have. Mm-hmm. And so they their commander sends Andre off to a different Patriot fort and sends a messenger to Benedict at West Point saying, hey, we just arrested this guy. Um, and he has maps of West Point in his boots not knowing that Benedict had given them to him. Only Peggy knows this. She's the only other person who knows this. Oh, so there was nothing tying Andre to Benedict in his boots. Right, right. He was under an assumed name. There was an assumed name on the pass, right? Mm -hmm. And so the messenger runs to West Point and tells Benedict this. And Benedict and Peggy are waiting at breakfast 
for George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, and the Marquis de Lafayette. Oh, oh. This is and all Henry happening Knox like the same all, day. All happening <laughs> on the same morning. Oh, my God. Good so grief. They're all there at Robinson House waiting for George Washington to show up. Hamilton shows up and says, oh, jo- Washington and Lafayette are going to be late. And Peggy says, okay, not knowing that that they had found out about Andre yet. Oh. And she sends Hamilton out to pick some peaches and stuff, which is just a delightful image, I think. Um, <laughs> and so the messenger comes and delivers this message to Benedict and says, you know, they caught this, this, this man with these maps. And Benedict knows the whole thing has blown up. Oh, no. And so he runs upstairs and Peggy's upstairs. We can only imagine their frantic and furtive conversations of the jig is up, they're coming for me, right? Mm-hmm. Right. He runs back downstairs and orders a horse and rides as fast as he can to the bank of West Point, uh, to the bank of the Hudson River across from West Point, orders his men to row him to the British ship saying he's under a flag of truce and they need to row as fast as they can. Meanwhile, the message has come that Benedict Arnold is behind all of this because Andre has told them who he was because he is honorable, right? And he's like, right. I'm John Andre. I'm a British oh, officer. he's not a spy. This is what's happening. Right. Like, I'm right. not, because that was, right. it, it, yeah, the context at the time, like, that was considered a very ungentlemanlike thing to be, like the duplicitous right. or whatever. So mm-hmm. he wouldn't want to be right. that. So <laughs> Andre wants to make it clear that he is a gentleman and he is an officer. Right. So... Washington realizes how bad this is. He sends mm-hmm. Hamilton to charge after Benedict. Is Washington at Robinson and House now? Like now all, he is. So they're right. with they're in now the house Peggy's with upstairs. Peggy. She's yeah, upstairs. She's, okay. Washington's downstairs. Knox okay. is downstairs. Lafayette is downstairs. Jeez. And Washington has ordered Hamilton to get on the fastest horse as possible to go and get Benedict so they can get him and hang him. Right. Yep. Yep. So Hamilton is not fast enough, and they basically like see the British ship, which is called the Vulture, that's the name of the British nice. ship, sailing away, <laughs> sailing away with Benedict. And Benedict has left Peggy and his newborn son, couple months old son, upstairs to face Washington, Hamilton, Knox, and Lafayette all by herself. Speaking of right. not, honor- not honorable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, uh, before we move to the next part and of the she's story. she's not even 20 years old, right? Wait, she's, she's a teenager? She's, Wait, how old? What? <laughs> right. She's she's not even 20 years old yet. Um, uh, or just I, around 20 years old. Before right. we move on to the rest of the story, I would like to point out to the listening audience that when uh, the messenger showed up, Lynn went, oh no. Whose side are you on, Lynn? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm on the side oh, of the yes. person I'm most, They're about to it, be most emotionally invested in at the moment in the, in the conversation. Right. <laughs> right. You're worried about She's worried about I'm Peggy. I'm worried about Peggy, right. yes. The Peggy's fellow, just as much a turncoat as woman. the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my argument, Isaac. That's right. <laughs> All right, so we can move on. Sorry, I just wanted to point out that Lynn Price, Dr. Dr. Lynn Price Roberts might be a loyalist. <laughs> <laughs> Right. right. At, at least showing sympathy. Yeah. If not, right. She's not aiding and abetting. Right? Yes, just sympathizing. Um, so, so, so Peggy um, was, of course, worried, <laughs> concerned, freaked out, is, is, I think, a, a, a fair word to use here. Um, the whole jig was up, right? The whole entire plan was coming, crashing down. Right. They were supposed to get 10,000 pounds 
which is a huge amount of money, right? Right. Um, for turning all of this over. And so they, you know, here they thought they were going to be committed loyalists and going over to the British and they were going to have 10,000 pounds mm-hmm. for doing that. And now the whole thing is just come crashing down and Benedict has barely escaped with his life. So Peggy um, really is traumatized. And I think we can all understand why she would be traumatized. Historians debate a lot about what happened in that bedroom when um, Peggy Ship and Arnold got very emotional about this. I think we can all agree we would all be traumatized if we were left mm-hmm. there with our baby and our husband has just fled, right? And right. we've got all those main revolutionary dudes downstairs um, ready to figure out what is happening. So she, I think it's not an act. I think she does completely have a breakdown, um, Mm -hmm. is absolutely terrified about what is going to happen to her, what is going to happen to her child. And so she kind of starts raving um, and she starts shouting uh, to to Benedict's aide-de-camps about how there are irons on her head and how she sees her husband in the ceiling and she thinks they're there to murder her child. Mm. Um, and she says, only, you know, George Washington can save me, can save these hot irons from being in my head. So they bring George Washington to her. They, t- oh, they, wow. they take him upstairs to try to calm her down because now they're all very upset that she's so distressed and she's, you know, losing her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so George Washington comes in and she grabs her child and she says, no, you're not George Washington. You're one of the men who's here to murder my son or to murder my baby. Oh, geez. Right. And Washington doesn't know what to do. He's just flummoxed by all of this and and leaves the room, leaves her to um, her housekeeper and a doctor comes and Hamilton's all concerned and Lafayette's all concerned. They're all worried about her. And we have letters that they write that night about how concerned they are about Mm her, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how she's just raving mad. And this is not how a lady acts, right? right? You know, they're gentlemen, and they know all the codes of behavior of gentlemen, and they know all the codes of behavior of a lady. And so Peggy fits them in lots of ways, right? Mm -hmm. they, They think of her as delicate. They think of her as fragile. And this is why she has collapsed. And because they think she is so much a lady and therefore she's virtuous in this time period, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of the definition of being a lady. Mm -hmm. They never once think that she has anything to do with this. So you genuinely believe that that, I I mean, I hate the the term. Faking it? No, the hysteria of it was was genuine. Mm -hmm. Yes, Interesting, because yes. I always yes. is like I, it, it's so it not it, it not convenient, but it is very much in line with she gets what she needs out of the situation, right? Right, right. And lots of people say, "Oh, it's the best acting job ever!" Right? Mm-hmm. It was the greatest acting job ever, and I think that's making her too calculated. And mm-hmm. I think if any of us can even try for a moment to put ourselves in her place, we might all have a freak out too. Right. Well, now that I realize how young she was. I mean, she was so young. She has a baby. So if she does get hanged for for treason. Yeah, they didn't do that to women. So she probably wasn't expecting that. So Um, what would she expect? What would they Um, did they do anything to women? Well, they they did put women in jail. Okay. Um, She certainly knew she was in an incredible amount of trouble. Right. So I think, Isaac, you know, back to your question about you know, this just seems really convenient. Um, I, I think she was truly traumatized. Sure. Um, but I also think 
you know, she milked it for all it was worth. Um, because when she re regains her senses, right, she very much plays what I call the damsel in distress, right? Mm -hmm. She very much right. plays, you know, this is uh, where I'm all alone. This is all upsetting. My baby, my baby, right? And really uses this this image of her as a mother um, and, and the sense that she is this delicate, fragile lady who has come undone. Right. Yeah. Um, and so she calls Hamilton to come and visit her and he comes and visits her and she calls up Lafayette to come and visit her. <laughs> right. And she has these very touching exchanges, conversations with them that they both write about in their letters. Hamilton writes to his fiancee, Elizabeth Schuyler, about mm -hmm. how, you know, beautiful and wonderful and delicate Peggy is and how he would never treat Elizabeth the way Benedict has treated um, Peggy, right? And you're like, oh, Alex, you're so wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, no comment. If, yeah, and, 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 you know, if she was really treasonous, if she was in cahoots, why would she want them close to her? She should be hiding from them, right? right? You know, like, right. it's it's that, right. that, that, so that part is, or at least feels calculated in your estimation, like that. Right. So I think I think some of this is calculated. Like, oh my gosh, I am in this situation mm -hmm. now. How can I make the best of it? Mm -hmm. And the best of it, I would argue, is what's best for me and my child. Right. Because when she finally kind of regains her composure, Washington, uh, it's about a day and a half, two days later, says to her. Uh, I will let you go wherever you want to go. I will give you escort. Do you want to go to Benedict behind British lines in New York City? Or do you want to go to Philadelphia and be with your family? And she chooses Philadelphia. She doesn't choose him. Well, he did run off. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I, I mean, like to think I like to think that she's like really pissed at him, right? And and really mad. Um, we don't know. We don't, you know, we she left nothing behind about what happened. She never wrote about it. He never wrote about it. Who knows so what happened know. when Hamilton right, was off in the garden picking peaches? That conversation, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> right. right. But, she, but she chooses her family. And so she gets escorted back to her family and nobody once asked her anything about any of this. No, um, no, so she was like, never inquiry. ever treated. Huh. Mm -mm. She was never treated as anybody who would know anything um, until she gets back to Philadelphia. Oh, and, and then... It changes. Right. right. And then Joseph Reed says, I don't trust her. Mm -hmm. I don't trust her at all. And General Nathaniel Green says, you write a letter to George Washington. And he says, you need to get somebody to the Arnold House as soon as possible in Philadelphia. And you need to grab all of their letters, all of their correspondence, mm -hmm. including any of the shippings. Right. That's Smart. interesting. And, right. And so Nathaniel Green totally <laughs> sees that she may be a part of this. And Joseph Reed is convinced um, that she's a part of it. So when she gets back to her family, he and the um, executive council of Pennsylvania say, nope, you can't stay here. We order you exiled. You are exiled out of the state of Pennsylvania. You have three weeks to leave the state and you are never to return until the war is over. So her family thought she could stay. And, no. and they said, no, that she was a threat. Hmm. She was a threat to the state and a threat to the cause. And she was exiled from Pennsylvania. So sorry for the interruption, but we're going to take a brief break now for a word from our sponsors. Yeah, that's interesting that Nathaniel Green was the one that kind of like, like, because he wasn't there. I think so he didn't see no, the thing. Wasn't. So he doesn't have like the emotional like uh, experience right. of seeing her 
in that in, in that traumatic experience driving it. Right. Um, which right. I, but he becomes the next commander of West Point. So he becomes the oh, commander Green of does. West Point. Right. Green does. Right. Just temporarily. But they had to get somebody in charge. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that Joseph Reed, out of all the people who was suspicious of them, because he wasn't exactly like a Washington fan either. Uh, no. Right. He's an no. interest. Yeah. He, he, him being like the central to this is 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 an interesting fact. He has a whole, right. you know, history. Is, he was at Washington's aide to camp and ended up sort of like trying to subvert some of some of Washington's plans. But he is a super Philadelphia patriot. Right. And mm-hmm. so he was always dubious of anybody who wasn't a super patriot. Right. Right, right, right. So did Peggy's family, they didn't know, but were they suspicious of her? Or... Were they just supportive and it was everyone else in Philadelphia? Well, that's a really good question, I think. Um, They write things at the time that make it sound like they don't think she had anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. However, and this is the historian looking back, I can, you know, make judgments like this. However, there is not one scrap of paper left that Peggy wrote in that time period to any of her family mm. members. Yep. And there's lots of letters after once she's back in England, but for this whole, from her marriage until the mid-1780s, it's all gone. Mm. There are no letters to her. There are no letters from her. There is nothing, which That's makes me I think. I smell a cover-up. Right, I exactly. Now, it it may not be that they're covering up information, right? I mean, she wouldn't write to her dad, "Hey, we're going to turn over West Point," right? But I think they were so concerned about her reputation, their family's reputation, Mm -hmm. that they got rid of anything that Mm -hmm. anybody would have the slightest, you know, bit of information that might look bad. Because when they do storm into the Arnold's house in Philadelphia, they do get some letters and they publish one from Peggy written to Benedict in the newspaper. Hmm. And it it doesn't say anything treasonous, but she's really snarky about some um, leading women in Philadelphia. Like she says kind of snarky things about them and Hmm. the way they dress. And that gets published. Right. So, to show how she's not. So that, she's it's like not, a trashing you know, the, the reputation. Nicest. That's right. such a right. uh, that's such a like right. using the media to like paint a picture of someone that has nothing to do with the subject at hand. It's like, oh, but look exactly. at it. She's talking behind your backs. She's got to be. She's totally. Exactly. That's so funny. Exactly. So I think I think that's when her her family was. Oh, my gosh. Like, we got to get rid of everything. Right. Because it's all gone. It's all gone. Huh. So so she has. To, so she's exiled. Right. Yep. And her dad takes her to New York City, and she joins Benedict. Oh, so he's hanging out at New York. He's hanging out with the British in New York City. Okay. Right. He's soon, he's soon given command of some troops down in Virginia, where he burns a whole bunch of plantations and, and commits lots of bad things in Virginia. They don't like him in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he, 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 he really becomes a true diehard British officer. The minute he turns over, the, it, there's no question he's all in um, and starts killing Americans. But not so a does werewolf, he get the... like in that animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Just to be George clear. George Washington's the werewolf. Not... Washington's the werewolf? Yeah. No. That's another book. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Arnold in that animated is, is, is partly, <laughs> partly werewolf. <laughs> right. Anyway, they all sorry. Are. Right. Um, <laughs> right. 
So what was I going to say? Oh, yes. So obviously, Benedict Arnold's issue is that he is not loved and admired and showered with praise uh, by his uh, by his commanders. Was he when he went to the British? Were they like, oh, boy, you've come to us. We love you. We'll pay you whatever you want. And did he get what he wanted basically after he committed treason? He got a lot of what he wanted, but Mm -hmm. he didn't get everything he wanted. Uh, He only got six thousand pounds instead of ten thousand pounds because he didn't come through on the deal. Um, The British army and especially Clinton were incredibly. It was tragic for them that they that John Andre got hanged. They loved John Andre. Everybody loved John Andre. And Benedict Arnold didn't have the charisma of John Andre. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were disappointed that. This whole thing didn't work and they lost Andre. Um, but again, a lot of historians wrote about Benedict Arnold and said, oh, they shunned him. They didn't like him. That's not true at all. Uh, mm-hmm. They knew he was a, a very capable commander. They give him commands. Um, now, they do. They don't give him as high up of a rank as he wants. They Again, he's thwarted. <laughs> right. Um, and and Clinton kind of writes to other other officers and says, well, let him do stuff, but keep an eye on him. Right. Like mm-hmm. he has to ask your permission if, if he wants to keep doing this. So he's a little you know, he's not given as much respect as probably that he wanted. But when he goes back to England, uh, both he and Peggy are presented at court. Uh, he has lots of Cornwallis. Lord Cornwallis stays a very good friend of Benedict Arnold's for the rest of his life. Oh, wow. Um, so does so does uh, Henry Clinton. Um, so, you know, he's he also pales around with a number of aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, King George III talks to him in person a number of times, invites him to some kind of like, you know, war cabinet meetings. Sure. So he's not the shunned person that many American historians in the 19th century especially wanted to portray him as, right? Because right. they want him to be the villain that that Isaac right. said, right? That he's he's the worst he's American the villain. And so they want him to be like shunned and spit upon, right, when he goes to England. And that just doesn't really happen. And, and Peggy becomes quite popular in England. Um, her beauty is written upon in the newspapers about how beautiful she is. Uh, like I said, she's presented at court. Mm-hmm. Uh, she becomes very good friends with a number of aristocratic women. Mm-hmm. They are kind of the center of a loyal of loyalist communities in, in London. They, they have lots of very good friends. All the loyalists kind of move together in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And they have lots of very good friends there. So it's not... You know, the, the story that, that some, some historians told. Uh, they go back to Canada, and they live in Canada for a while, in New Brunswick. And That's Benedict's a punishment failure enough. there. That's punishment enough. Right. Oh. <laughs> oh. No. It's beautiful. I've been there. I did research there. And the funniest thing is that people in New Brunswick think Benedict Arnold's great, right? Because he was this wonderful loyalist. Of and, course they do. And he did all, all the good things, right? And so there are plaques. <laughs> there are plaques, like, Here's Benedict Arnold's house. And, what? you know, here's Benedict Arnold here. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's very funny to see that. Um, <laughs> that, that that they're, you know, lauding Benedict Arnold um, and the other loyalists who, start, who came to St. John's, New Brunswick and started that city. So he just kind of never is the success he wanted to be. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he fails as a merchant. Um, he keeps offering himself. To, to the British Army officers and British Naval officers as they go on to fight other wars. And they're like, no, we don't need you. No, we don't need you. <laughs> right. It makes sense um, that the military so, would be uh, like suspicious of him. 
because like that was like yeah, that was un, right. what he did was ungentlemanly. It was unbefitting of an officer to turn coat, right? Why would they ever trust someone who's more like whose morals they couldn't theoretically yes, and, at, at, at a certain level, you know? And he, but they also saw it as a very loyal act too. Sure, yeah, that yeah. that is kind of the epitome of being a loyalist. To have, I mean, he lost all his property, right? I mean, he right. lost tens of thousands of dollars worth of property when they did this. Um, and but they both get, they both, and this is again how we know Peggy was a part of this. They both get very generous annuities from the crown, and she gets one separate oh. from him. She gets five hundred pounds a year. So like a um, pension, it's like a pension, right? Okay, right. it's like a pension for um, her, as Clinton calls it, her meritorious services. Oh, and when Benedict writes a couple years later, asking for an increase in their pensions because he always wants more money, um, he says, "You know, she deserves this for the hazard she run." That's in a letter mm. that he writes. The hazard mm. she run. Mm-hmm. Now, and that's Revolutionary War speak. Yeah, right yep. for doing really dangerous things. It's not just for being a supportive wife. Given all right, that, right. like so. You know, when Pennsylvania kicks her out, just to step back a little bit, was she a danger? Like, would she have been if she was still there? If they, if they basically bought the story, they were right. like, oh, he you had no idea. He was doing this all behind your back. What a terrible husband. What a terrible patriot. Would, right. you know, well, she says, she says when she gets back to her family's home in Philadelphia, she says, if you just let me stay here, I promise I will not write him and I will not accept any letters from him. Okay. So... I, th- I think this is very interesting, and and when hmm. I haven't started writing that chapter yet, but I really want to explore what does this mean that she's basically willing to self-divorce, basically, mm-hmm. right? To totally cut herself off from Benedict Arnold um, and say, I won't accept his letters. I won't send him letters. Um, and so they're trying to do everything they can to show she's not a danger. Right. And you- And they just don't trust that even. They're like, no, you know, it's already the sense. I mean, they said this is treason of the blackest dye. That's what they kept saying about what had happened at West Point. And you can find that that phrase everywhere. Treason of the blackest dye. And so because she's Mrs. Benedict Arnold and not just Peggy Shippen, she's a danger Mm -hmm. regardless. She's a danger. So they want her gone. Right. And so do you think they were equating her? Her self-separation from Benedict Arnold is also um, removing herself from her loyalist tendencies. So the fact that sort of that was her only connection, because when when um, Isaac was talking, I was thinking, well, now she's going to find another loyalist to write letters to. And well, she's like, still there's the China try. merchant guy or whatever. He's still yeah. there. Right. There's still other it's people like forget right. Benedict, but I'm still going to help out the British. You know, I don't I don't I don't <laughs> think that that was in her head. Um <laughs> You know, one one of one of you asked me if I thought she was a spy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I and I loved that question because I've been thinking about it ever since you asked me that question. What two weeks ago? It's like was she a spy? Was she? Would I say she was a spy? Like I'm really playing around with this idea, and I decided no. Um, she's she's part of the treason. Mm-hmm. She's a traitor, but I don't think she's a spy okay. because she wasn't setting. She wasn't looking for the information to mm-hmm. pass on. She certainly helped move information, but she didn't go out to find information. Right. And so I think 
she just had very flexible loyalties. And Lynn, as you know, lots of Americans in this time period had very flexible loyalties. Absolutely. And going back and forth between both sides. So she was happy to be a loyalist flirt. She was happy to be a patriot bride. She was happy again to go and be a loyalist trader's wife. And then she knew she was a committed loyalist, right? Mm -hmm. Once the jig was up and they lost out, there was no going back. And I think maybe she thought when she got back to her family's house in Philadelphia, she might have, you know, for that little moment thought, oh, I can go back and I can just be, you know, I don't have to be the loyalist trader's wife. Mm -hmm. I can just be my father's daughter. Right. And which is very much an 18th century sensibility, right? You're either somebody's Mm -hmm. wife or you're somebody's daughter. Absolutely. And I think she thought, oh, I can just become my father's daughter, Mm -hmm. which will leave me here and leave my baby protected. Right. 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 Um, And and the executive council was having none of that. Hmm. But Joseph Reed would have thought that she was a spy. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe at least uh, undeserving of any sympathy. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. But, you know, she and Benedict seemed to mend whatever rend might have been in their marriage. They have, they go on and have a number of more children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she sticks uh, with them through, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, even and she in writes Canada. about how, even in Canada, <laughs> even in Canada, though he goes out to Canada first without her and has an illegitimate child. What? Um, oh. Right. Which Come she on. doesn't find out about until surprised. much later. <laughs> right. I know. He's a rat. What? I mean, Benedict Arnold is. <laughs> he's like he's such a Benedict Arnold. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Can't say loyal oh. to anything. That guy. Right, right, right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But there are letters much later in their life about you know how he's the best of husbands and and how happy she is, um, and so they seem to have made it work. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think what I want to talk about a little more. Um, so we're talking about you know. Peggy and Benedict Arnold, but you're actually writing a biography of Peggy. Yes. So I think we want to know a little bit. I don't really care about Benedict. (laughs) Right? I mean, he did some things, but we want to know about Peggy. (laughs) Right. So, um, yeah. So why, I guess my question is, why did you choose to study her? And, you know, what did you know beforehand? Because I didn't know that much. And apparently some of the things I knew were false because you've corrected some things. So. Oh, good. Yeah, that's, so, that's so my coming job. into this, you know, what were well, you thinking I, of? I had written a book about another woman behaving badly to, you know, rip off Laura Thatcher Ulrich's term <laughs> about women behaving badly. Seldom, uh, you know, um, that, you know, they're the ones who make history. Well-behaved so, women rarely make history, right? Right, right. So I'm yes. looking for the ones who behave badly. And I had written a book about a very badly behaving woman naming, uh, named Elizabeth Patterson Bonaparte. And yes. she was wonderful, right, to write about because she you know, just flaunted all sorts of conventions. And, you know, she marries Napoleon's youngest brother and she wears very thin, scantily clad clothing, right? And attracts attention to Washington, D.C. She was so much fun to write about because she behaved badly. Right. And so when I was looking for my next book topic, I kind of tried on lots of different women and they were behaving too nicely. And so they were boring. (laughs) And I was trying to look for some other woman who was behaving badly. And I wrote an article about one, a 16-year-old girl who runs away with her father, Luther Martin, uh, law assistant, and she runs away and and there's a paper duel. And so that was kind of cool, but it wasn't a book. Right. Um, And so I was trying to find another badly behaving woman and... You know, 
I just kind of started thinking, okay, who's out there? Like, who do I know who kind of might be be not very good? <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Benedict Arnold kind of came into my mind. And it was mm-hmm. also at the time, and I don't know if any of you guys watched this, when Turn was on AMC. Yep, absolutely. Right? And I loved that. Yep. That's like my biggest history crush was on John Andre, right? In, I mean, in Turn. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. I know. Like, yeah. John Andre. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and so when I saw how she was portrayed, I thought, oh, she would be great. What a great, great woman to write about. And then I thought, for sure, there are, there must be a ton of scholarly biographies on her. Right. There are zero scholarly biographies that on right? her. And there are only a handful of popular biographies on her. Hmm. And so I thought, okay, here I go. Time to fill that um, void. Right. Right. And I discovered, you know, part of the reason why there's not a scholarly biography on her is that she just didn't leave a lot of letters, especially right. anything before like 1785 or so. Right. Uh, and she dies in 1804. So she doesn't have a really long life. Oh. Um, she dies of uterine cancer oh. in, in 1804 and she's just 41. But mm-hmm. um, this needed to have been, you know, my third book. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a hard one to write because there's not a lot of sources um, you know, how do you write a biography about a woman who's not really there? Right. And so I have to right. kind of fill in all around her. Um, but she's she's an incredibly good story, right? It's a great, it's a great, a great, great, story. great story. Um, kind of from beginning to end, she's a great story. And so, you know, I, I'm I'm filling in where I can and trying to tell the most accurate story mm-hmm. I can, which means pulling back the layers of way too many. 20th century historians who have relied on 19th century historians who haven't gone back and looked at the actual sources and the actual Mm -hmm. evidence um, and, you know, trying to peel back all those layers and put her at the center instead of Benedict. She's never been Mm -hmm. at the center. She's always on the side. Right. Right. And she deserves to be in the center. Right. That's a huge task. Yeah, it is, especially when, you know, there's not as much as many sources there as one would want. But it's. She, you know, she's another, she's a traitor, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the ultimate in behaving badly. Um, so, yeah. so it's, 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 it's been a lot of fun so far. And uh, I'm just starting writing now. COVID slowed me down in terms of getting the research done. Oh, sure. Uh, right. So, so fingers crossed. Um, it's already under contract with Norton. And it's supposed to come out uh, at beginning of 2026. Just in time for 250th that's anniversary. Right. right. Oh, that's, that's great. So exciting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully we can yeah. drum up some excitement for it in the, yeah. in the, in the interim. Right, right. <laughs> and have to have me back when it comes out. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to save some stuff for that conversation. Right, right, yeah. right. Anything more I find out. And what, what's been really fun, I just got back from a trip to Provence uh, <laughs> where I met some Benedict and Peggy Arnold descendants. <gasps> I was and, going to ask about their kids right. if they, okay. In right. And That's they're they're very interested in Benedict and Peggy, very much interested. They mm-hmm. had some letters that nobody else has, right? They're their own pr- private collection oh, of wow. Benedict and Peggy letters that I got to look at sitting yeah. in Provence. It was amazing. That's so cool. Um, but they're this wonderful family who just are r- incredibly interested in their ancestors, very interested in why Americans think about Benedict and Peggy the way that they do. Mm-hmm. Why do we all hate them? Basically, <laughs> yeah. is what they're asking me. Um, it, they, they were just wonderful. They were absolutely wonderful uh, to meet. And and for a historian 
to actually sit in the room with descendants of the people you're writing about. It's it's the closest you can get to talking to your subject. And that's crazy. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. That doesn't surprise me at all. I I think there's a couple of other people that we've heard this from, but I genuinely think a lot of new discoveries as far as American, especially from the founding era, scholarship, they're all, all the, those sources, they're in Europe. Like there's a right. lot mm-hmm. of a lot of desk drawers and a lot of archives over a family archive specifically that have just a ton of stuff that's just waiting to be discovered. And that's that I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next, you know, de- couple decades or whatever, like that's where a lot of the major things are, are sort of uncovered. But as long the, as they don't throw it all away. That's my yeah. concern. Right. Yeah, right. we have to get over there before they have time to throw it away. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Because this descendant, this descendant who I was talking to, his grandfather um, was very concerned about when Christie's or Sotheby's uh, mm-hmm. sold some Benedict letters mm-hmm. that they didn't want Americans to get a hold of them because Americans were already bad mouthing them and they oh. didn't want Americans to have them. Right. So they bought them and they stayed within their family. Oh, the family right. bought them from Christie's when they went abroad. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah. The Arnold's bought them so that Americans couldn't get their hands on them and still say mean things um, <laughs> oh, no. about their ancestors. So it, it's, it's really fascinating. So it's how really did you sweet talk them, Charlene, into getting to to see those letters and to well, I got visit a very them? Nice, I got a very <laughs> nice inter- email introduction from... Um, Stephen Case, who has written a popular biography of Peggy. Okay. And so he had he had met this Arnold descendant because he had done all the gene- genealogical research to find oh, wow. the descendants. I did not do that. Oh, he gosh, did that yeah. and reached out to all of them and asked if they had anything. So he had seen some of these letters and had met Hugh Arnold is, is, is the descendant's name. Um, he's a photographer, a wonderful photographer. And uh, he... So I had this introductory email and I asked Hugh if I could come over. And this, of course, was supposed to happen two years ago. And he said, yes, I have lots of things. I'd be happy to go. He was so welcoming. He was so generous. Really happy for me to be there. Um, Understands that this is a scholarly history. So, you know, I'm not just going to say, oh, he was great. Right. Benedict was great. (laughs) Um, But they were very generous and Mm -hmm. very honored that an American historian had traveled all that way to visit their family and and spend time with them and look mm-hmm. at their papers. And I was honored in turn uh, that they were willing to let me do that. And just their generosity was was remarkable. Well, and, and I think the thing is, you're not looking to bash anybody. You're just looking no. for the facts. Right. You know, you're looking for the... I, I, you know, truth, we don't use the the true, but, you know, you're looking for the most accurate story possible. And ac- accuracy and complexity is what I would, I would say, yeah. right? Yeah. The story for so long has so much just been about Benedict, right? Pages and pages and pages and pages right. about Benedict and the treason um, with just this, like I said, side note of Peggy. And you have to make it a story about both of them. Right. You have to make it a story about a couple, a married couple, and not just a disgruntled general. It's got to be about a married couple. And that shifts the the focus, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just about a battlefield. Um, It's now about a family, a home, uh, a bedroom. It changes the story. Right. A peach tree. (laughs) Peach trees. (laughs) Hamilton picking peaches will just always be in my my mind bank now. You know, I, I say it rewrites the American Revolution. And and I... I believe that. So I when we do that. 
one one more question, because you and I, uh, Charlene, we both do women's history. We both like the study of women and to sort of um, tell their stories. So, Peggy, I'm wondering, do you think she she fit into sort of that that era's womanhood, sort of the we have the idea of Republican motherhood. Do you think that she was uh, like other women of her era? What about her was unique? What about her? Um, sort of was just part of her being a product of her era. Just can you give us a few, you know, a few comparisons of her, sort of an overview? Well, I think she's very much a product of her era. She Mm -hmm. very much acted like an elite woman should. Mm -hmm. Um, She responded in ways that elite women should. Uh, She was a very loyal wife, a very supportive wife. If she, if Benedict had stayed a patriot, she would be right up there, you know, with Martha Washington and Abigail Adams and Catherine Green as these loyal patriot wives. Right. But they made the decision not to do that. Um, so in the fact that she's a traitor makes her incredibly unique. But the way she was a wife, the way she was a daughter, the way she was a mother makes her like so many other elite white women in that time period. So she's very similar to lots of other women, Mm -hmm. except for that moment in September of 1780 at West Point, right, where she becomes a traitor. And I think she's a lot like other women during the revolution as well, that throughout the revolution, she's making choices, right? just like lots of other women did. They weren't passive spectators. They were all active They were all making choices about what was good for themselves, what was good for their family, what was good for their children. Did I want to be patriot? Do I want to be a loyalist? Women were making choices. And through Peggy, we can see that. And that's why I also kind of really wanted to write this book about her so that we can see women as actors in the revolution and just as much making choices and having an impact on the revolution because we could argue that Peggy Shippen Arnold is one of the most influential women of the American Revolution, right? Because of that potential West Point treason that would have made us British, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Boyd Lewis, I'd like to thank you for spending time with us today. Um, This has been so much fun. Yeah, glad you enjoyed it as well. We we can't wait for your book. Uh, (laughs) Me neither. I'm ready for it. (laughs) Write faster. (laughs) I know. Uh, <laughs> Go right. Um, if so, for our give me a five-year make... sabbatical, and I'll, and I'll take it. We'll do what we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, we can finagle that. You know, I'll call Kal- Kalamazoo. Um, <laughs> but uh, for for those are our listeners that want to follow you, uh, is there anywhere they can find you or follow your work or updates on on your project? Do you have social media? Do you have a website? I don't do that social media thing. I'm still so out of it. But um, if anybody has any questions or any comments, they can just email me at my calendar. Kalamazoo College email, and you can get that through my Kalamazoo College website. All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks. Thanks again. Thank you so much, guys. Thank so you so much, much for teaching us about Peggy. Thanks for asking. Thank you for listening to the full episode of Too Complicated for History. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please leave us a review on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms at 2C4H underscore podcast or check out the link in the description. This will keep you in the loop for show updates, new episodes, and exclusive content. Too Complicated for History is a podcast from Primary Source Media, produced by Patrick Long and Lynn Price-Robbins. 
edited and mixed by Curtis Fritch. Opening theme music by Sheena Biratella. <laughs>